Welcome to Intangibles Podcast. I'm Steve Berg, your host. Success is driven by how as much as by what. How we communicate, how we lead, how we relate to our environment are all vitally important. Intangibles is a podcast that explores the underlying traits, qualities, and behaviors that improve the how. This is accomplished by finding the people who have studied and been successful practicing these soft skills and having informed conversations with them to get to what is learnable. Let's begin. I'm talking to a friend, and he says, my wife has said she's leaving me because I'm a bad listener. And he sighs, and then he says, I've got to tell you, this upset me very deeply because I'm an awesome whistler. I think Drew Tarvin would appreciate that, even though it is a dad joke. The best jokes make you laugh because they contain a bit of truth. I'd wager that most people think they're good listeners, but we'd be surprised to find out that they're not as good as they think. There's a huge value in being a good listener. There is so much information that gets left on the table because we simply don't make the effort to pick it up. And listening is not some genetic gift. If you want to be a good listener, spend the energy and the effort and become a good listener. You may say, but Steve, I know nothing about being a good listener. What can I do? Well, I've got good news for you today. Hemena Venguichea is a researcher, writer, and illustrator whose work is on personal and professional development. She's been published in Inc., the Washington Post, Newsweek, and Huffington Post. She's a contributor of Fast Company and The Muse and writes letters from Jimena in a newsletter on tech, culture, career, and creativity. She's best known for her project, The Life Audit. An experienced manager, mentor, and researcher in the tech industry, she previously worked at Pinterest, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I've heard of a couple of those. Uh, she's also the author of Listen Like You Mean It, Reclaiming the Lost Art of True Connection. She and I are going to spend some time in conversation about how to become a better listener. And if I can restrain myself, she'll just going to do most of the talking. Jimena, welcome to Intangible's Podcast. Thank you for having me. I know that that was a, a fairly elaborate intro, but uh, is there anything that I failed to mention about your background that you think is important to emphasize? No, I think you got it. Thank you. Excellent. I, I said I was going to let you do all the talking, but if you'll indulge me, I want to provide a little preamble to set the table before we begin. Is that okay? That sounds great. Okay. So listening is the ability to accurately receive and interpret messages in the communication process. And there are levels of listening. There's passive listening, which is just hearing the words that are said. It's called surface listening. And that's better than nothing, but not much better than nothing. There's active listening which is listening in a way that keeps the other person engaged with your conversation in a positive way. And that's kind of the standard. That's what most business people kind of, that's where they listen at kind of normally or should. And then there's empathetic listening. And that's listening with the intent to actually understand on a human level. That means the words, the intent, the emotional content. This is Jimenez's way. So is that a good setting of the table? I think it is a good setting of the table. And I'm glad that you added the caveat that uh, most people should be employing active listening in the workplace as opposed to are, because I think that might be debatable. But yes, I think we're going all the way from the surface, all the way down to the sort of like deepest emotional connection. That's, that's where empathetic listening plays. And certainly that getting there 
means taking a lot of the stuff that you're leaving on the table off, right? So let's talk about what's required then to be an empathetic listener. You know, one of the things that the book talks about is having an open mind. But I, I've got to tell you, I think there's some semantics associated with this, right? Because open-minded is a willing to entertain someone else's way of thinking that might not necessarily align with my way. But I think that there's too much me in that, right? It's got to be aligned with my way. I think it, there's a simpler way is just be open. I'm not predisposed to anything. Um, would you consider open as a starting point or, or if I got it, not quite right? No, I mean, I think it's fair to say that it's more nuanced than just saying open-minded. And the way that I, I talk about it in the book is having what I call a listening mindset. And it's in part about being open-minded, but there's really three core qualities to having a listening mindset. Um, and it's important to bring all three of those in because if you're missing one, then you're sort of only getting part of the story. But so those are humility, curiosity, and empathy. Most of us, when we sort of naturally show up into conversation, we're not necessarily thinking about those things. We're not necessarily intentionally bringing them into conversation, which is how we often wind up staying at the surface. Because if I'm not bringing in humility, that means I'm probably focusing more on my own opinions and thoughts. It's going to be harder for me to really hear you. Um, if I'm not bringing in curiosity, it's going to be hard to keep the conversation going and learn more about you. And if I'm not bringing in empathy, then it's definitely going to be hard to get to that place of emotional connection that we were referring to briefly earlier. So if we've got those three, where shall we start? Should we start at empathy or humility or curiosity? I, I want to get your kind of your thoughts on listening empathy, your thoughts on listening humility. Uh, so where, where, where would you like to begin? Yeah, let's start with um, humility, because Great. I think that that really sets the stage for even allowing curiosity and empathy to make their way in. So when we talk about humility, that's really shifting the conversation from approaching it uh, with the mindset of an expert to being the, having the mindset of a student. So we often come into conversations with an opinion that we feel strongly about, maybe a correction that we'd like to provide, a judgment that we are mentally passing or explicitly passing. Um, so we're carrying all of these things into conversation with us. And it's natural. We all do this. But in order to really understand the other person, we sort of have to set all of that aside. And I think one of the best ways that you can really em embrace this idea of bringing humility in is to make a conscious shift from I'm the expert, I have all the answers to I'm a student, what can I learn here? And sometimes even, you know, the, I think that's the case, even when we are an expert, let's say in a given topic where we really might, you know, technically have more years of experience in something, you know, so we really feel like, no, no, I am the expert. That may be true. But again, when your goal is to really understand another person, it's important to remember that they are an expert in their own experience. <laughs> so there's always something that we can learn from them if we can take that mindset shift and begin to give them the space to teach us something. That's ego again, right? That is imposing yourself upon the other person, what they're trying to communicate. And, and if you don't, you, there's just so much more that that person will likely share. At least that's what it seems like. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this is why, you know, so much of effective listening has to do with our ability to manage ourselves in the moment. Ego is part of it. And we can talk about some of the other pieces that come up, but it really is about managing our own experience so that we can be there for someone else. 
Okay, so that leaves us, that was humility, that leaves us empathy and curiosity. Where are we going next? So from humility, you've kind of opened the door to learning from someone. And now we really want to bring in curiosity. And curiosity is an interesting thing in that a lot of times we think that in order to build a connection with someone, we have to be interesting, right? We have to tell a good story or a good joke or have something to say. We're often worried about what can we contribute to the conversation. And what research actually shows is that it's less about you being interesting that draws people in and more about you demonstrating an interest in someone else. That's what really draws people in. And so curiosity is taking that chance to get to know someone and ask about them and their experience, which is something that you can only do once you have that base layer of humility already setting the stage. So curiosity is what allows us to go a little bit deeper. And I think for many of us, it's sort of easy to be naturally curious about something that we happen to like, right? You know, maybe there's a hobby or a particular subject. We can be curious about that because we like it. It's harder when it's a topic that we're not drawn to, or maybe that we actively find boring. Um, so I always advise trying to find the what else. So what else can I learn in this scenario? What else might there be there for me to discover? Um, and just kind of mentally reminding yourself that there probably is a what else, whether it's a topic that you're not interested in or a topic that you're already an expert in. There's going to be something else that you can learn. So when I, th when I think about that, as you've described it, being interested is way better than being interesting to, mo to most people. And I think about kind of as a, the acknowledgement of a gift, right? Like I, I am doing my best to provide you with attention, to provide you with space. And you're kind of understanding that I am doing that. And, and that, that kind of makes you feel gratified. Like, oh, thank you. The, this is good. And, and, and at, at the net result is you kind of feel a little bit more open. I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think thinking of it in a gift is, um, you know, there is, a, it, there is a generosity involved when you can set that ego aside, when you can really tune into someone else, that is a gift. And um, I think it feels even more special because we don't always get it, right? We're not necessarily getting that in every interaction. And in fact, maybe not even in most interactions. So when you receive that, you feel it, right? Even if I can't articulate, you know, oh, why does it like, I'm really hitting it off with this person, you know, I can feel that there's a kind of chemistry there and I'm interested in that, right? Um, and so I think that's the feeling that we want to offer people. And it's also, it's also the feeling that I think we all want to receive, which is why it's so easy to tap into it when you do feel it. Absolutely. I mean, I'll tell you that I don't know anybody who doesn't absolutely love my mother when they meet her. And they often go, well, what happened to you? And the truth, <laughs> of the, the truth of the matter is, is she is so willing to give that gift and, and is in fact genuinely interested um, I struggle with my attention and, and it clearly comes through. Uh, there's just no doubt about it. Uh, and, and, you know, it amazes me every day when my mother does that magic trick. And it does feel like magic, doesn't it? I mean, it, it really does. And by the way, I, I'm sure she's not looking for payback, but the payback on that is enormous. Mm -hmm. Like people will go out of their way. They'll bend over backwards to like 
help my mother or accommodate her in what she needs. Like, oh, yeah, of course we're going to do that, right? And the same person that just didn't give you the time of day won't even think about it, right? It's So there's value there to be captured. So way to go, mom. Um, all right, that leaves us with empathy, right? So empathy is that sort of deepest level that we can get to. And that's where the real human-to-human connection occurs because empathy is about understanding someone's emotional experience. It's about being able to relate on some level to what they're going through and to what they're feeling. It doesn't mean that we have to have shared in that exact experience. So if someone is sharing a story of, let's say, a, a huge business loss or something like that, and we haven't experienced that, that's okay. That's It doesn't require, empathy doesn't require an exact mirroring of experiences, but you probably do know what loss feels like. And you probably know what grief feels like. And maybe in this case, there's even some shame or shock um, or surprise, right? So you're tapping into the underlying emotions of an experience as opposed to, you know, the the sort of framework for the experience itself. Um, And that's really important because, again, we've all experienced these different versions, these different emotions at some point in our life. So if you can tune into that and feel into that, that's going to help you understand the other person and what they're going through much more deeply than if you stay at, let's say, an intellectual level. I have a follow-up question for you there. It seems as though humility and curiosity are difficult to muster, or let's call that par for the course. But the empathy, that is truly a effort. That's truly an energy. That's truly a will um, to be able to raise it to that level, right? To, you know, am I looking in the person's eyes? Am I getting the body language? Am I hearing their tone? Am I hearing their volume? Am I, and what does all that mean, by the way? Am I kind of, am I down the fairway on that or? or, or? I think that all of the things that you're mentioning in terms of tracking things like nonverbals, the body language and facial expressions and voice and tone are absolutely important. I would just say that they're important at every step of the way, that I wouldn't limit that to, you know, digging into the empathy piece. I think that you're kind of doing all of that at once as you explore each of, as you bring each of these qualities in, you're tracking, you know, how is that person responding or where are they getting excited about a topic or where are they withdrawing to, you know, let's say the questions you're asking to go deeper. So I think they're, they're present the whole time. So we can, I mean, I'll touch on those in a, in a moment or two, but I mean, I think that uh, maybe I didn't do a good job. Like, I think that there are, in fact, emotions being communicated that you, you need to be picking up on. There's, you know, at very least the valence of those emotions, you know, is this generally positive or generally negative or some kind of crazy mix? Then, oh my God, try and interpret that. And, and you know, I, I, emotions have a different sound, Right. You know, joy sounds completely different than frustration. Confidence sounds different than either, I would imagine. I'm, those are the things that I think are the next level, and they're a little confounding. Mm. You know, I'm not, I don't want to put you on the spot. I just wonder if you have any thoughts, particularly about how. How to decipher emotions? Is that what you're asking? How to get better at even knowing what to be paying attention to. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is practicing um, awareness of yourself and then also practicing awareness of what's happening for the other person. 
So awareness of yourself is often what gets in the way, like a lack of awareness of what's happening for you. So we talked a little bit about ego before, but emotion, like you are as a listener, you are probably feeling some emotions too in the moment. Maybe what the other person has said is calling up these empathetic feelings, but is also maybe activating um, some old memories, even some trauma or something that you can't necessarily consciously even say, oh, this is what I'm, you know, this is what I'm thinking about now, but you begin to feel something. Maybe you feel it in your body, a a tightness in your chest or um, a closing of the throat. And so it's super important to be tracking what's happening for yourself in these moments. I think that's a, a really important part of this process of being able to tune into other people. And then the other part is yeah, there are th- certain things that you can start to listen for or look for and use these as cues for what might be happening. I think, you know, on a very basic level, most people would say they more or less can interpret a smile. That actually gets very complicated because people smile for many different reasons. But, you know, most of us have a decent baseline, right? And it's about taking that starting point and making that list a little bit longer so that you feel more comfortable interpreting like, okay, it's not just a smile, but also this person is, you know, fiddling with their collar or their necklace. Like that's often a sign of self, uh, self soothing, you know? So maybe that's the reflection of some nervousness or anxiety, you know? So there are cues like that, that you can start to pay attention to obviously with a huge caveat of everybody's different. So, you know, what one person does to self self-soothe may be totally different from from somebody else, but there are certain patterns that you can begin to look for. In innovation, there's a technique or or at least an expression about um, looking at something with fresh eyes, right? The beginner eyes. And it sounds like you're kind of saying that we need to listen with beginner ears, right? No preconceived anything um, that kind of leaves the emotion out of it. Yeah, I think so. And it's I would say the goal is less to leave the emotion out of it and more to be aware of when the emotion is coming in because we're human. So the emotion is going to come in. (laughs) It's just, it's, it's probably going to come in, you know, so better to acknowledge it and, you know, again, notice those things in your body or notice where your mind is running and be able to, in the moment, label them either internally where you say, oh, I'm having an anxious thought here. Okay. I'm going to let that go and return to the present or even, you know, say that explicitly. If there's that kind of trust in the relationship where you can say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting, you know, I'm having a strong emotional reaction to this. I think I need a beat. Like, I think I need to just take a moment for myself. Is that okay? So less like let's build a wall, you know, to keep the emotions out and more just kind of an acknowledgement of we're going to do our best to not focus on that. If and when they come in, let's acknowledge them. That's the fastest way to being able to cycle back to the present. I remember actually reading the book, thinking the very same thing that I just asked you and you, that there's actually literally, it may have been, I turned the page and it's like, no, don't have no emotion. Like literally the exact answer that you gave. So um, kudos to you for consistency and <laughs> bad on me for not remembering that from when I read All it. All good. Okay. So staying present. So clearly, I mean, that seems like a no brainer, but many people find it shockingly hard to stay present. (laughs) What, uh, I mean, just a matter of willpower, what's going on here? What do we need to do? I think part of it is willpower. Part of it is that self-knowledge that we've kind of started touching on too, because if you don't even 
recognize that you're distracted or if you don't know what leads to that distraction, it's not even a question of willpower then. You're, you just lack the awareness to even practice having willpower. So I think with staying present, it is a crucial ingredient for being able to have these kinds of deep conversations and listen with empathy. So there's there's no getting around it. So we may as well embrace, you know, figuring out how to stay present in these conversations. And I think there are some culprits that are pretty consistent for most people. So devices are kind of the elephant in the room for this kind of conversation. Our devices are very distracting um, and they make it hard to focus. I think when people hear that, they often think, yeah, I know I get distracted by emails, but like, I'll just turn my phone over on the table. So it's not face up. So I won't see the notifications. Well, that's a good start. But what research shows is that actually even just having a phone in, in your line of sight, even if it's face down, if I'm having a conversation with someone and I have my phone on the table, that decreases my ability to uh, be empathetic. So it lowers our levels of capacity for empathy just by virtue of being in the same room. So that's, you know, this, this is a whole different level of trying to figure out how to manage distractions from our devices. So, you know, best case scenario, you put your device completely away. The other thing that I think is very common for most of us is, you know, the basics like, are you um, hungry? That's pretty distracting. I think we all we all see this in children. We think it doesn't affect us as much, but it actually does. Um, are you tired? Did you not sleep very well the prior night? And also, I think you know there are things that are particular to each of us. So we've kind of got the general and then the specific, and those are going to be things like what is your personal magic number when it comes to having these kinds of conversations. So are you someone who can have four deep one-on-ones a day and that's like no problem for you? Are you someone who can have two and then after that you want a, a bunch of alone time because you need to recharge or you want to do a different kind of work or thinking? Um, so it's about beginning to recognize those things about yourself, both what's happening for you internally, both like what is the, you know, your surrounding environment doing for you? Are you the type of person who's going to be super distracted in a crowded bar? Or does the, you know, amount of people there actually help you zone in on the other person? Some of these things are really unique to you as an individual. So it's about finding those things and learning those things about yourself through some observation and self-tracking so that you can begin to design experiences that are supportive and help you to stay present rather than something that you have to fight against. Yeah. So one staying present, but then I guess the next step beyond that is communicating receptivity. Yes, sure. All right. Eyes. It seems as though that when listening, the eyes will tell you almost as much as your ears. Is that correct? Yeah. I would say that, you know, when we think about listening, it is easy to think about it just in the context of our ears, but there is much to be learned <laughs> through using your observation skills as well. And that goes back to some of what we were talking about earlier of tracking um, nonverbal cues. How are people, you know, what are, what are people's postures? How do they relate to each other, particularly in a group? So who's taking a seat 
all the way at the end of the table and leaving several chairs, you know, empty and not not getting really close to the group who is standing and maybe who's seated in a group. And then again, back to those individual cues that we were talking about of, you know, self self soothing around your neck or um, paying attention to feet. So if someone is facing you in a conversation and they uh, their head is facing you, but their feet are facing outward, that might be a sign that they're ready to go. They just haven't said it. So they um, might be too polite to say something, to say, hey, you're yakking my ear off. I actually have to run. Or they might be sitting with you as a sign of respect of, you know, especially if you're their boss, let's say, like they don't want to necessarily ruffle any feathers. But when someone's feet are facing a different direction, that's usually a sign that, um, it might be time to wrap things up. So things like that, those are some of the insights that you can gain by not just listening to the words, what's being said, and also what's not being said, but observing as well. Yeah, the body can't, the body just does not seem to be able to tame cognitive dissonance, right? Mm -hmm. you, what you're thinking and what you're projecting, they're, they're going to be the same. They're going to be the same. All right. So in the book, you give what makes up empathetic listening, but Again, I think you push beyond that in describing how to create a situation where the information flows more freely. It's not information extraction exactly, but it kind of ups the value content from the perspective of the listener. They kind of get what they want more out of the conversation without, you know, without being nudgy or without being mean. So I mean, if you think I've got that at least close enough, um, maybe we could explore that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that when you are practicing this kind of listening, one of your goals is to understand another person, right? And their experience so that you can connect with them in that way. So you're bringing that goal and intention into conversation. You don't want to focus so much on that, that you uh, miss other cues for what they might want to explore in conversation or that you push the other person too far and they, they do begin to feel either manipulated or uncomfortable with where the conversation is going. So there is a fine balance that we're striking between, yes, we have a goal going into it, but we are also leaving things open, again, back to being open, to where they need to go. Um, and I think one of the really important things to keep in mind as you're entering into conversation on this topic is that every conversation carries a need. So we've, we've actually talked about our need, which is we want to get to know the other person. But in every conversation, there's going to be some kind of often hidden need. Sometimes it's explicit, but often it's hidden. And I think the goal is really to understand what does the other person need from this conversation? So that could be um, affirmation, that could be support, it could be advice, it could be solutions. There are lots of things that people could be bringing into, into conversation. And so the goal is to really understand what's the hidden need without pushing someone too far. And one of the things that I think is a really useful tool in helping to uncover these hidden needs is to also be aware of what you're bringing into the conversation that might that can be a lens that either gets you honed in on that need or takes you off track. And so I call these default listening modes. And your default listening mode is essentially a filter through which you hear the world, really. It's the lens that you hear things through. And so your mode could be a problem solver where you hear everything as a potential problem to be solved. 
Your mode could be a mediator where you're kind of listening for and scanning for how do we all get along in this scenario? What's everybody bringing to the table? Um, that listening mode could be an identifier where you're thinking, well, how do I relate to what's being said? Um, what's my version of this story? And all of the modes are good and they all have moments where they probably shouldn't be applied. For example, maybe someone doesn't need your advice, even though you're bursting with solutions for them. So when we're navigating these conversations, we're navigating our need to get to know someone as well as their need, whatever that may be, and the modes that, that we generally bring into conversation. So we're kind of looking for a balance and again, an awareness of what we're bringing in so that we can see the other person more clearly. There's another version of that in that sometimes it's just to get to know you, but sometimes there's actually a transfer of knowledge or information, right? And oftentimes, you know, you'll see someone step up for an interview and be remarkably information free <laughs> in terms of their content. They, they'll kind of tell you what they want to tell you, but that's not really satisfying the knowledge transfer checkbox. If you're a smart listener, you're going to figure out a way, hopefully, to kind of get more to the root of what you need. What kind of things do you do without, you don't want to be rude, right? You want them to talk to you again. Yeah, I, th I think um, this is where asking questions plays a really big role. So in the book, I talk about two types of questions, connecting questions, which are meant to get us closer to someone else and understand them more deeply, and then disconnecting questions, which essentially have the opposite effect. And we don't often realize it, but we may be Part of why that, that, let's say in the scenario, this candidate might not be giving us the answers we're looking for actually might be because our setup in our questions isn't inviting them to respond in the way that we want them to respond. Could be other things too, but some of it can be our, our question asking. And so being careful about the kinds of questions we ask, um, being strategic about the kinds of questions we ask can be really uh, helpful here. So in general, you want to steer clear of leading or biased questions, questions that are probably going to lead you to a one word response, a yes or no response. And those often start with are, is, and do. So are you nervous about the presentation tomorrow? Are you mad at me? Uh, is this okay? Right. Those things are, are generally going to lead to like, uh, yes, I'm nervous or no, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I actually am mad at you or yeah, that's fine. Right. So you're not necessarily going to get a lot out of the conversation. Whereas if you shift to more open-ended questions, so questions that start with what and how you're going to get a lot more detail because you're essentially allowing the other person to lead the way. So rather than assuming someone is nervous about a presentation, let's say we can just ask, oh, how do you feel about tomorrow's presentation? That gives a person the chance to say, I feel great about it. I'm so amped, you know, and there's no baked in assumption that, well, they really ought to be nervous, right? Because it's a big deal. Like that's our projection <laughs> that we think they should be nervous. So again, shifting to how and what questions can really open the conversation in a different way because it allows the other person to take that first step and share as much as they want to share about a topic and that's also what helps us to not fall into that trap that we were talking about earlier of feeling like, oh, is this, is this kind of manipulative? No, it's not, because we've given them ample room to answer the question in a way that feels 
safe, comfortable, interesting, authentic to them. Yeah, I think, you know, the point that being a good listener can in part be being a good question asker, right? And again, back to the curiosity piece, that's significant, right? You might not be giving the person any place to go. So it might really be on you, even though you're just like, how come I keep getting these one word answers? Well, ask a better question. Yeah. And there are also techniques to, let's say there is an area where you kind of sense some heat on a topic where you, where you kind of sense, okay, this person has a lot to say about that. I'm interested in that. Or in the scenario of an interview and a candidate, you can feel them starting to get closer to that, that the real question that you want answered you can continue to ask questions that are um, effectively nudges for the other person to keep going down that direction with you. And so you can say something like, say more about that, or tell me more, or what else? These are very small questions that don't necessarily even sound like questions. Um, So you can be strategic too about when you employ these as you start to get to that area that feels, ooh, this is really rich and productive. I want to dive deeper here. I I think you just also created an excellent segue here that sometimes the listener doesn't exactly know what it is they want to know. And you're kind of wandering around looking for the interesting part. You know, I was going to say, well, what do you do then? But it seems like you just gave the answer. What do you do then? Short questions, open-ended questions, give them a little space, and they'll, they'll kind of find it for you. Yeah, I think that's right. And then the other thing I would add there that can be an effective tool is to, you know, you're, you're giving people space through these questions, but you can also literally let the conversation breathe by introducing and embracing moments of silence. I think sometimes we think if there's silence in a conversation, we've screwed up in some way. We've bored the person. Oh, this is getting awkward. Or if it's the scenario that you're talking about where we're not entirely sure of what we're looking for, we can really get into our own heads of, oh man, I'm blowing it. You know, like, I I don't know what to say next. (laughs) And sometimes just Letting the conversation breathe, giving it 10 seconds can be really productive because the other person might just be winding up to share something more. They might still be processing a thought. Um, So you might not have bored them. They might just be chewing on something and working their way up towards sharing something with you. And so there can be a lot of, I think, benefit to just giving the conversation a little bit of space, both through the questions you ask and also literally through, you know, giving the other person a real chance to answer those questions. That is the more polite way. I was thinking about silence as people get a little uncomfortable with it and they're going to seek to fill the void. They're going to say something. They're going to dive into that because just sitting there staring at the other person is just not a comfortable feeling per se. You let silence do the work. Yes. I think many of us are uncomfortable with it, with silence and conversation. Although at the same time, I think there are relationships in which it's almost a marker of our closeness where you can be comfortable with someone in conversation and you don't think twice about it. Right. What about in situations where you think you've got something that you really want to talk about and the conversation maybe, you know, heads in a different direction you can think of that in two ways. You can think of that as, uh-oh, this is kind of off the rails and I need to steer it back. Or you could think of, oh, wait a minute. I found a vein of interest. I found a, like a gold mine over here that I didn't even know existed. How do you tell the difference and, and when is it okay to go off script? It is a very, um, it's a very fine balance of pursuing these 
seemingly random threads or saying, nope, that's not, you know, within my line of sight here. Um, that's not on my agenda. So I, I can't, I don't make space for it. I, I won't make space for it. I think in terms of, you know, when you pursue those versus when you say, okay, guardrails are up here, that largely depends on the setting and also what is your goal. If your goal is to have a generative discussion about something, maybe maybe going down those paths is exactly where you need to go. If your goal is to really quickly come to a decision and you feel like people have had ample time to put their positions forward, then maybe it's not the time to, you know, go down these other paths. So I think in terms of, you know, when do you allow what, it really has to do with what is the desired outcome of our time together. The one thing that I would say is even if you decide that something someone has brought up, it's a total tangent, right? It's going to take the whole group off course. We're not going to pursue it. It's useful to pay attention to what people bring up in those tangents. Maybe you don't incorporate it at all in your decision-making or into that meeting, but it's probably telling you something, either like literally what they're bringing up, you know, a complaint or an interest or, or whatever it may be, or what it tells you about that person. So maybe that person had ample time to um, bring this up to you at a different point. They didn't. Why did they wait till now? Hmm, what does this tell me about that person? Um, or, you know, maybe it has to do with the fact that this person is in a group that they're of peers that they normally don't have access to. And so they're using it to, you know, air out their needs, even though that has nothing to do with the agenda at hand. So even those detours that you say, politely, not now, it's useful to kind of tuck them away and come back to them afterwards and think, well, what did that tell me? Sure. All right. Well, then let's assume then we want to keep it on the rails. So now we're working with uh, something called redirecting. And there's a there's bad ways to redirect and there's better ways to redirect. Why don't we talk about some of the good ways to redirect? Sure. Yeah. So if you are in a, in a discussion where you are trying to keep things heading in a particular direction and you've been um, derailed, let's say, by someone who's, who's bringing up tangential information. I think the important thing when you're redirecting is to always acknowledge the other person's contribution, even when it feels like it's not a contribution, but acknowledging that they are speaking up and sharing something with you and, and or the group, and then politely redirect them to move on. And so that could sound like Thanks so much for sharing that. I want to bring in the other side of the table or, um, you know, that's that's a really interesting point. Let's also hear now from blah, blah, blah. You know, that's a way of redirecting to include other people. You might also need to redirect without necessarily passing the mic, but just to kind of like, okay, let's get to the next agenda item, in which case you might say, oh yeah, that's an interesting topic. I want to, let's, let's hold that thought. I want to return to, you know, the topic at hand, or um, I want to come back to the agenda. So, you know, there's a lot of like corporate speak for how you can do that. I think really the, the goal here, however, feels authentic to you to say it is just to say, I hear you. Thank you for sharing that. And also let's get back to our goal. If you miss part of that, if you only say like, let's get back to things, it's sort of robotic. And that person may feel slighted. They may not understand why you've kind of ignored their contributions, you know, so we do always want to acknowledge and then move on. 
helpful. So there's one more technique, and then I've got a couple of ones that are just inventions in my own mind that I want to talk to you about. The final technique, though, is summarizing and repeating. And you can do this for words and you can do this for emotions, which, you know, I think that is a new level, right? That's, that's an A-game thing there. Could you give a couple either thoughts or examples of how you might do this, particularly, I mean, the words part I kind of get, but I'm sure it would be helpful, but particularly for the emotions part. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, reflecting back what you've heard is a technique that folks may be familiar with if you've had any kind of training in things like active listening. Um, but this is a way for you to confirm that what you've heard and internalized, you got it right, that you haven't misinterpreted the other person. It also can help the other person feel heard. It can help them understand, well, this this person was actually listening, even though their face like didn't give me any emotions they got it or they didn't get it, but they're trying, I'm going to help them out a little bit. So what that can sound like is saying something like, you know, it sounds like dot, dot, dot. Now, when we're reflecting things back, we're not trying to list everything the person has said, which I think is sometimes you, you can sometimes hear people trying to do this and they're like, well, it sounds like you've got a lot of projects on your plate and, uh, you know, this relationship with that teammate isn't really going well. And da, 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 da. that does tell the person you're listening, but it doesn't really make any meaning of what you've heard. And that is part of what we're trying to do when we reflect things back is make meaning of it. So we're really going for a sort of high level summary or a headline. And that is where the emotion can come in. So you can say, it sounds like you're overwhelmed. Does that feel, is that a fair assessment? Does that feel right? Not every relationship can sustain that. <laughs> Some relationships can where someone will be like, yeah, I am, you know, I'm really stressed out about X, Y, Z. In another relationship, you might say more like, oh, this sounds like a really stressful situation. It sounds like you're getting pulled in a bunch of different directions and go from there, right? So in terms of how pointed you get in, in, in your reflecting back on the level of emotions, that I think is going to depend partly on the relationship. And is this someone who there is that trust and vulnerability in place where you can say, it seems like you're really, you're, you're really having a hard time with all of this. It seems like this is kind of upsetting you versus saying like, yeah, it seems like you know, it might help to take some things off your plate or whatever it may be. You're essentially, again, making meaning of what you're hearing. And that meaning for the purposes of empathetic listening does often include getting down to that. What is the emotion that the person is sharing? All right. Sounds like a tall order to me. <laughs> okay. Next three questions, just things that I wondered. So when I think about empathetic listening, it's time-consuming exercise, right? You know, there's a lot. And I, I guess I wondered if, you know, in business in particular, time is a constraint. It's a thing that, you know, we have a limited amount of in being able to produce what we need to produce. It seems like it's hard to do empathetic listening in our lives where time is a commodity. Is it possible with time as a constraint or not really? Can't do it. I think it's a good question. I think it is possible. And I guess what I would say is that you're right in that it does require effort and attention and focus and all these things that we've talked about. But I actually think if you put the time up front, that investment makes everything else go a lot faster. So if I skip ahead and I say, 
I, I don't have time to like really, truly listen right now. I'm going to give, you know, 20% or whatever it may be that I feel like I can do. That's going to be a problem later on. If I invest that time up front and can really understand, okay, what does my teammate need? Um, what is this new hire bringing into the group's dynamics? What is my peer, uh, how do they feel about my promotion or about, you know, this project that we're working on? If I can tune into that earlier, that is going to help us all collaborate much better um, and align much quicker. So while, yeah, there is effort involved, I think of it as an investment in future relationships so that you can avoid some of the like later kind of underground conflict where you go, what? That's why that project went off the rails. It was because, you know, such and such was happening. Um, that that to me would be the reason to invest upfront. Okay. You know, one of the things that people who do read the book will find out is that there's a lot of research here, right? A lot of time in, a lot of questions asked, a lot of compiled information. And you make listening in a way, there's a process, right? You've isolated a lot of different pieces. And so, you know, I invest in machine learning and artificial uh, intelligence, and I think about things in terms of, uh, like, algorithms and, and rules and such. And I'm wondering if you, in having gone through this, do you think that listening can be optimized, almost like an algorithm can be optimized? I know that's kind of crazy. Maybe I should ask it differently. Is there, is there perfect listening? I don't think it's crazy. I think it's ambitious. I think it is so complicated because humans are so complicated and trying to understand what someone means. Like, I think what I've done with the book is trying to provide the ingredients for you to become a more effective listener. And what's going to happen as readers go through is they're going to find things that they're naturally good at, and they're going to find things that they need to work a little bit more at. And that's okay. And I think you're building, you're, you're both improving upon the strengths that you have, and you're starting to build from some of those weaknesses in order to get to this place of deeper listening. I don't think that there's necessarily a like golden standard in the sense that we are part of the conversation, <laughs> like we being like the listener, we being humans. And so there's always going to be something else happening. So it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier of trying not to keep the emotion out, but just trying to be aware of when the emotion is there. Um, I think that's the best that we can do is be aware of what we're bringing into the conversation and learning to manage that and adapt it in the moment. That's going to get us closer and closer to an ideal conversation. And I think an ideal conversation is just one in which both parties feel accepted, understood, cared for, valued. And that comes through that exchange of giving someone the space to share their experience um, and allowing them to, you know, speak their piece and, and feel understood in the process, which is some of the magic that we were talking about with your mother and, and other people who really make us feel heard. So I think that's the ideal we're going for, which is really quite human. Okay. That was so good an answer. I'm not going to ask my last crazy question. I'm just going to go right to lightning round, which is kind of signaling the end. First is, uh, so something about the topic, 
that you'd like to address that we haven't covered that you could think, oh my God, how, how did he not ask me this? Something that's significant that we should really talk about. I, I think the only thing that I would add is that, and we started kind of talking about how this kind of listening does take effort. You know, there's a chapter in the book, which is all about rest and recovery. And so I think that's important for, for folks to, to understand is like, we're not trying to push ourselves too far and we're not trying to become empty vessels for other people and just, you know, there to sort of like receive emotional dumping because that's not what a conversation is. That becomes a monologue. So there are tactics in the book that talk about how you can set boundaries within conversations and within relationships so that we're getting to this nice equilibrium rather than um, sort of learning this new skill and then feeling like, well, well, now I have a skill and I'm being steamrolled. So just to call that out. Okay. So I would imagine that over time you have gone to a bunch of different resources that you went, oh, that's clever. That's smart. That's pithy. That Are there any that you would recommend besides your book. What are the resources besides listen like you mean it? Actually, just on the topic that we were, um, that I was just mentioning in terms of maintaining that balance in conversations and relationships, there's a great book that came out earlier this year by Nedra Tawab called Set Boundaries, Find Peace. And that is all about the practice of setting boundaries. Again, you know, her focus is more on relationships. I focus on that within the context of conversations. But um, it's very hands-on, very practical guide to setting boundaries. All right. Last last one is I would assume that you are comfortable interacting with people who are interested in this. Is there a place that they can find you? Someone who might listen to this and go, aha, I want to talk to Jimena. You know, where, where could they go? Sure. I am all over the internet if you can spell my name right. Um, but the best place to go would be my website, which is jimenavanguichea.com. And that's a hub for social media, newsletter, um, all that good stuff. Jimenavanguichea.com. You got it. All right, cool. Uh, Jimena, that's it. Thank you. I think it is an examination of the topic that is necessary. I think that people, again, I'm going to go back to the beginning and say, look, I, I don't think that people fully comprehend what they need to be doing. And so having the place to go to find out what that is, is, is pretty good. So I appreciate it. And I've, I've learned a lot. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was great. This has been Intangibles. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and many other podcast platforms. You can also find it at its home on the web, which is www.intangiblespodcast.com. I'm Steve Berg. Thank you. Keep an eye out for the next episode.